Hi everybody, I'm Jo and it is a privilege to be with you. I am just so sad that I don't get to be with you in person. I would have loved to have been in the UK with you and hang face to face, but I am glad that we still get to connect in this way um, and allow the Lord to meet us here in these unusual ways of doing things and unusual times. I thought I would start though with a story. It was my mum's birthday and she lives in London and um, we had flown over from the States to spend a bit of time with her. And I thought the best thing we could do, the most fun thing we could do, because it was a little after her birthday actually, that we'd take her out to her favorite restaurant, her favorite restaurant, a Chinese restaurant in our neighborhood. So my husband, my two teenagers, two girls, and I were driving into the neighborhood. And I said to my husband, hey, don't worry about the GPS at this point. I know exactly where I am. I grew up on these streets. I know this place. Except that as we began to navigate the neighborhood, everything was different. Instead of the Sainsbury's, there's an embassy being built. Instead of another store I was used to seeing there, something else was gone. The fish and chip shop, friends, wasn't even there anymore. That I lived there. I used to be there every day, gone. Lots of stores were different. Lots of buildings were different. Things I didn't even recognize anymore. And I was beginning to feel a little bit discombobulated. So as we turned a corner, I, um, I thought, oh, we'll take that road. Except that road wasn't a road. And then we turned another way. And we said, we'll take that drive. Except it wasn't working anymore. In fact, it was blocked off and it was fined for just being there for 35 seconds. It was not working. Finally, one way or another, we got to the restaurant. And as soon as I stepped in, probably because you kind of re-enter your family systems, I started complaining and saying to my mum, everything's changed. What is wrong with this place? It took me ages to get here. Nothing is the same anymore. And my mum laughed at me, again, because we reconnected in the whole family system thing, and um, said, Joe, it's been changing for years. You just weren't watching. Everything's always been changing. And as I've reflected on this last year or so, that, that moment, that time has been on my mind a lot. So many things have been changing. We've encountered, deeply encountered, a landscape change in the way we live, the very fabric of our lives. Some things are the same, but it, yeah, it's so different and it's not recognizable anymore. Now, for some people, they would say that it gave them more space and more time, but I, I, I'm not one of those people. It has um, the realities of a global pandemic, the realities of a racial uprising and reckoning um, that actually may have catalyzed in the States, but kicked off in many parts of the world. The reality of a bruised and struggling economy meant more worries, more unknowns, more frustrations, more demands. We know I knew how I used to lead. I knew how I used to plan. I knew what I used to expect and none of those things were anymore. And for a while, maybe there was the assumption that back to normal would happen soon enough. But the longer it lasted, the longer things went on with lockdowns and shutdowns and reopenings and returning to shutdowns, the more was deconstructed as a result. Back to normal wasn't coming. And then when we look back on things like um, racial reckonings and uprisings and normals, we didn't want to return to anyway. Because it wasn't actually great for everybody. And then somehow in the midst of that, we were supposed to lead through it all. It's been draining. It's been exhausting. And it's why I think it's really important that as we gather together close as leaders, we talk about burnout. The term burnout was coined in the 1970s by an American psychologist called Herbert Freudenberger. 
He used it to describe the consequences of severe stress mixed with high ideals, sound familiar, um, in the helping professions. He was actually beginning to refer to doctors and nurses who sacrificed themselves for others and would often end up as burned out. But nowadays, the term is used for anyone, um, the workplace, but also um, our relationships, um, different environments, our caregiving, those things which could lead us to burning out. He noted three particular features of burnout. One was emotional exhaustion, the fatigue that came from, and as I say these, see if any of these resonate with you in any way whatsoever. Emotional exhaustion, the fatigue that comes from caring too much for too long. Ever been there? When you feel um, unable to cope, emotionally exhausted, drained, and you don't have enough energy, and sometimes it manifests itself physically with things like stomach pains or bowel problems. The second um, feature was depersonalization, where they kind of run out of empathy, run out of caring, run out of compassion. You kind of get a bit cynical about your working conditions and even your colleagues. Um, The job becomes increasingly stressful and frustrating. And they begin to emotionally distance yourself and feeling numb about work. Does that sound familiar to you? And then the final one, a decreased sense of accomplishment, that feeling that you can't escape, that feels like nothing you are doing is making any difference. A reduced performance is a result um, and it affects everyday tasks. Hard to be creative. And as I pondered these things and had many a conversation with leaders and friends about the exhaustion they felt, about the cynicism they felt, about the emptiness they felt, I was thinking about Elijah. And um, Elijah is one of those key characters in the Bible, one of the giants of faith. But we meet him at a turbulent time in the people of God, a time of corruption and frankly evil at the highest levels in the lives or through and through the lives of Ahab and Jezebel. God's prophets were being killed and Elijah was public enemy number one. In the era in which he's leading out as a prophet, he speaks truth to power. He's seen God do so much and has done so much with God. There's prophecies about a drought. He's fed by ravens, which doesn't sound like fun. There's his encounter with the widow of Zarephath, a miracle of provision, and then raising his son from the dead. But maybe the one that that comes to mind most of all is Mount Carmel, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, where they are expecting their gods to refer to their, um, to meet them and meet their offering. And then God comes with his fire and his power and reveals himself and reminds them who God actually is. And yet instead of that leading to revival, instead of that leading to some kind of reform in the land, Jezebel reminds Elijah that his days are numbered because she's going to take care of it and deal with him. Now, let me be clear before I unpack this any further. The Bible doesn't explicitly say that Elijah was burnt out. And yet, the way the Lord tends to Elijah in that moment, the way he guides him through those times, strikes me as helpful for those of us who are feeling that emotional exhaustion in these days. Those of us who are living with that sense of nothing is working and there's no point in going on. Those of us who are feeling detached and cynical and empty in all we're doing. There's something about the way the Lord tends to Elijah that I believe could be important for us. And with that in mind, I'm going to read from the first book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 18. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 
all the way through to 18. Set the scene. Jezebel has just said, I'm going to kill you. And um, Elijah is on the run. He escapes. He's like, God, take my life. I'm done. It's over. I'm miserable. I'm empty. Why should I go on? And then he falls asleep. Verse five. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead is going to be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength for 40 days and 40 nights until he got to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and then he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me at the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, son, grandson of Nimshi to be the king of Israel and then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town of Abel, Meholah to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. There are so many things that we could take from this, so many things we can take from these words and um, we don't have the time for that. I want to encourage you to dive in by yourself and draw out everything, everything the Lord has for you by the power of his spirit. But what I want to share are just simply three areas that we see God attend to an Elijah that I think is important for us as we are dealing with our own personal burnout as we are and admitting our burnout, as we are looking at our teams and the people around us, our friends, our families, and as we reflect on what this could mean for our lives and how we respond. Three areas that God attends to with Elijah. The first is he attends to his physical needs. Verse five, he lay down and slept, slept under the broom tree. And as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and God told him, get up and eat. 
I do believe that sometimes we Christians can be bad at this. We can take care of the spiritual stuff. We can intercede. We can prophesy and declare all the things that God needs to do. And we don't take care of our bodies. Somehow our bodies don't seem spiritual enough, even though we have one body and our leadership lives in it, you know. Um, We can neglect our body, abuse our bodies, ignore our bodies, ignore what our body is trying to get through to us. And we are... Um, And we kind of violate our design specifications, as it were, push ourselves harder, work ourselves longer. Why? Because the spirit of God is moving. And so we've got to go, go, go. And our bodies pay the price and our hearts and minds pay the price. We know our relationships pay the price, too, when we're living that way. And so I'm struck that this God who came down with mighty fire against the prophets of Baal, this God who gave prophetic words to Elijah that would change the very, um, the weather system, this God who um, passes by and tears loose the rocks, says, have some food, eat something, have some water. And here, I'm going to provide it for you because you need strength for the journey. It's not spiritual, it's not unspiritual to take care of your bodies. And so I want us to think in this place of burnout that we may be, um, or maybe this reckoning with being on the edge of burnout that we may feel in a time which has demanded so much from us, which has required our creativity, that has required our energy, where we've had to deal with uncertainty and change again and again and again. How are you doing? Have you taken a day off? Have you slept? How are you sleeping? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you staying hydrated? I can't remember who said it, um, and so I, can't, I don't know who to ascribe it to, but I, I've heard, um, I saw a quote in a book one time where someone said, you know, I'd rather burn out than rust out, and the sense of the spiritual intensity was way better. And the point the writer said in response was, but if you're out, you're out. There's no glory in it if you're out. And I want to encourage us, maybe the first thing the Lord wants to do with you is sit you down and get you fed. Maybe the first thing the Lord wants you to do is drink some water because you're not as mean that way. Maybe you need some sleep. If your body could speak to you, what would it want to say? And are you paying attention? The second thing we see God attend to with Elijah is that he attends to what's going on in Elijah's heart and mind. Elijah is completely isolated, no one to talk to because, well, he's run, hasn't he? And God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I love the fact that it's a question because we do know that God knows the answer to that. You know, if God is asking you a question, he's not confused. It's because there's something within the person he's asking that needs to be drawn out that they need to hear. You see, the emotional exhaustion and the cynicism and the I'm done with all this, take it all away from me, can't just stay on the inside. It has to be processed. And what I love about this passage is that, again, the God of the mighty fire, the God who's done these miracles, begins to simply have a conversation and draw out all that's agonizing and draw out all that's painful and draw out all that's broken. And so I want to ask you, as you are reckoning with um, months, weeks and, um, and of uncertainty and change and challenge, what's going on in your heart and mind and who are you talking to about it? Who are you processing it with? You see, Elijah didn't have any choice about who he was and uh, who, who he was with. And we'll explain why in a little bit of a moment. But, you know, we do. And I want to ask you, is there anybody you're talking to about how this has felt for you? 
about how leadership is going, about whether, you know, um, whether you just want to go back to the old way, but you find that you can't be nostalgic anymore, that to be a prophetic people is costing you in ways you never imagined. Is there anyone you're talking to about whether you want to give up? Are there mentors in your life, friends who you can talk to? Or are you busy comparing yourself and thinking, well, they're doing well, so I've just got to talk about the task and not how it feels to do it? Some of us, honestly, with the burnout, we could do with seeing a therapist, a counsellor, whatever language you like to use, but somebody professional who could talk you through the journey. We've let people pray with us, but we've not actually let anybody ask us questions. We've not allowed God to heal us in all the ways he's given us in the world around us. I want to encourage you, if you are dealing with burnout, at some point you need a way to process what's going on in your heart and mind. And yes, talk to the Lord. Of course we want to talk to the Lord, but see how else the Lord wants to provide for you to be able to do that fully. And then the last thing as I come into land that we see... Um, God attend to is that he attends to the loneliness and isolation and leads him forward into community. I love the last verse there. It says, yeah, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. You see, Elijah's lost perspective and it's understandable. He's getting a death threat. Of course he's lost perspective. It's been a nightmare for a long time. And he feels utterly isolated, utterly vulnerable, utterly threatened. So God has to give him the bigger picture again and say, you are not alone. You are, there are thousands of people like you. And not only are you not alone um, generally, but there are people who I'm, who I'm raising up to do the task and I'm sending you back to your community. You can't go forward alone, you see, because community will bring you clarity. Community will bring you companionship. Community will bring you confidence and community will give you courage. But will we be vulnerable enough? Or will we say there's no one else who's feeling this like I do? There's no one else who's with me in it. God, just take it all away. God, I'm done with this. I love the fact that God sends him back to people who are in a similar place, still under Ahab and Jezebel's rule, still having to deal with the threats and the corruption, but still know the goodness and the greatness of God. Who have you got? They say in that proverb, don't they, it takes a village to raise a child. I believe it takes a village to be a leader, to sustain a leader, to multiply leaders, to raise leaders. And if you're exhausted, you need other people because you're doing too much on your own. Or, or even or what, what's been happening in the world around you, frankly, is too much for you. I think we could all agree with that, right? It's all too much for us. And so together we need to walk with the Lord as we work this stuff out. And so as I close, I simply offer you this. What is your next step, friends? Maybe it's simply admitting that you are beyond tired. You've got up and you in the morning and you're more tired than you were when you went to sleep. That you hit the, when I described the symptoms of burnout, you checked all the boxes. And so I ask you, what's your next step? Is it a physical need? Is it time to attend to what's happening within your body? Is it mind and heart? Is it time to talk to the Lord? and talk to the people around you and get some help to process that's all that's happening? Or is it community and, and not only acknowledging that they're there, but going back and re-engaging and reconnecting with people so that you can go through this together. There's an African proverb that says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. In this ever-changing landscape, we want to go far. In this ever-changing landscape, we wanna see the kingdom of God come in fresh and renewing ways. In, in this ever-changing day where we're disorientated and nothing makes sense, we want the Lord to meet us here, empower us here. So let him meet us here. Let him empower us here. Let him minister to you in the midst of the tiredness. Refresh and renew your soul, body, spirit and mind. And let us, let us as church move forward 
into the future God is giving us. Let's just pray together. Lord God, I simply ask that you would show us where we're at. You'd ask us the questions we need to hear and you'd show us the next steps forward so that we can walk into all that you have. I thank you that Elijah wasn't done in that moment, even though he felt done. And for those of us here who are burnt out or completely on the edge, you're not done and they're not done either. But Lord, we cannot do this unless you lead the way. So would you carry us forward for the glory of your name? Amen.